But we're reading from Psalm, Psalm 16. And here's a prayer for the child of God in these evil times. Preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. O my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, Thou art my Lord. My goodness extendeth not to thee, but to the saints that are in the earth, and to the excellent in whom is all my delight. Their sorrows shall be multiplied that hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood will I not offer, nor take up their names into my lips. The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup. Thou maintainest my lot. The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Doesn't that encourage you? It's a blessing just to read through these words. The Lord uses word today as it's read and also as it's preached. I want to speak for a little while this morning upon a very important subject, and that subject is this, the conscious sense of the presence of God among His people. The presence of God in the midst of His people. I've got a few references that I'm going to read for you just now before we pray together. Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 8, speaking of Adam and Eve, And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Genesis 4 and verse number 16 says, Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod in the east. Of Eden. Exodus chapter 33 and verse 14 and 15. 
And he said, that is the Lord said, my presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. And he, Moses, said unto him, if thy presence go not with me, carry us not up thence. Psalm 16 and verse 11, in thy presence there is fullness of joy, and at thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. Isaiah 64, verse 1, O that thou wouldest rend the heavens, that thou wouldest come down, that the mountains might flow down at thy presence. Verse 2, that the nations may tremble at thy presence. Verse 3, the mountains flowed down at thy presence. And then lastly, Acts chapter 3 and verse 19, Repent ye therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Let's pray together and ask the Lord to really write these readings of His precious Word upon our hearts. Let us pray. Father, as never before, we cast ourselves at Thy feet. We pray that Thou wilt speak to our hearts. And may we experience in our lives, even this very hour and in the year and in the weeks, God willing, that lie ahead, we pray that we might more and more and more live in the conscious reality of the presence of the Lord. We pray that every time we meet together, that we might experience Thy presence. Father, we need Thee so much. Deliver us, O God, from just having another Sunday service. Deliver us, O God, from mere meetings and from dry sermons. Deliver us, O God, from merely singing hymns and exchanging greetings with other Christians. But may we really experience in our lives and in our worship the presence of God and all that that brings. Hear and answer prayer. Grant the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Hide the preacher behind the cross. Uplift thy son, for it's in his name and for thy glory that we pray. Amen. Can I ask you this morning as an individual, what do you know of the conscious sense of the presence of God in your life? And then can we also ask, what do we know as God's people, as a congregation, of the conscious sense of the presence of God in our churches, whether it's a Lord's Day morning, Lord's Day evening, or a prayer meeting, or at some other time. What do we really know individually and collectively of the presence of God in our Christian experience? You know, it's so true that the Savior said, where two or three are met together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. And we know that that's true. The Lord cannot and does not lie. But sometimes I fear and I sometimes feel that we maybe take a verse like that and we hide behind it and we know that it's true, but maybe we do not experience the reality and the outworking of that in our lives and in our meetings? What do we know in an experiential way of the presence of God in our lives? Dr. Stephen Alford, in his tremendous book 
heart cry for revival has a chapter entitled, The Why of Revival. Why do we need revival? And he gives three reasons why he believes that the church of Jesus Christ needs revival. First of all, to restrain the righteous anger of God. And then to reveal the gracious activities of God. And then to restore the conscious awareness of God. He was a great preacher and great with sermon outlines and alliteration, but one reason he says we need revival is to restore the conscious awareness of God. And really that hits the nail on the head. We need, I believe, more than ever to experience the conscious awareness of the presence of God. The Lord is here and that to bless us. But are we conscious of that? Are we aware of that in our lives and in our meetings? Sometimes I wonder, is there a sense in which we are worshiping a departed deity? Samson wist not that the Spirit of God, the Spirit's power and blessings and influences in his life, he wist not that the Spirit of God had departed from him and he rose out and went out as at other times, assuming that all was well, but the power was gone. The conscious sense of the presence of God in his life was gone. And that can happen in any of our lives. That can so easily happen in the church, in a denomination, and also in a community, and even in a nation. Revival is God returning in a very real way into the midst of his people Again, Isaiah 64, 1, Oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens, that thou wouldest come down, that the mountains might flow down at thy presence. The uh, prophet Haggai, Habakkuk, or sorry, Haggai it was that prayed, Revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years make known. In wrath remember mercy. And then he says, God came from Teman. And really that's what revival is. It's God coming into the midst of his people consciously. And there's an awareness of the presence and the sense of God. Revival can be national. Revival can be ecclesiastical. Revival can also be local. Revival also can be personal. And before we pray for national revival, I believe we need to pray for an awakening uh, of our senses to the presence of God in our lives and in our meetings. Duncan Campbell said, Revival is a community saturated with the presence of God. A people saturated with God. Wouldn't that be wonderful if we experienced that in 2024? Our community, our church, our very lives, our senses, saturated with the presence of God. The book of the Acts of the Apostles speaks about times of refreshing from the presence of God. All of these Bible verses that we have read together this morning, they speak of the conscious sense of the presence of God amongst His people. Adam and Eve hid themselves from that presence. Cain went out from that presence. Moses prayed for that presence. The psalmist described that presence. 
The prophet Isaiah longed for that presence. And God's servant in Acts chapter 3 assured us if there's repentance towards God, we can experience that presence. And there are dozens of other verses that we have, could have considered this morning. But let's think for a little while, and I ask you today to think perhaps and consider more than ever what the Word of God would have to say to us this morning as we consider the conscious sense of the presence of God amongst His people. As we think about this subject, the first thing that I want to say or speak about is the potential reality of the presence of God amongst His people. It is true that God is everywhere. God is omnipresent. The psalmist recognized that in Psalm 139. Whither shall I flee from thy spirit, or whither shall I run from thy presence? If I could ascend right into the very heavens themselves, thou art there. If I could make my bed in hell or in the very depths of the earth, thou art there. Everywhere I go, God is there. But are we conscious of it? Are we aware of it? Jesus Christ our Lord is omnipresent as well. Where two or three are met together, in my name there am I in the midst of them. So wherever God's people meet together, in His name according to His word and will, He's there. And before He left this world, He said to His disciples, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world, or unto the end of the age. And there's a verse there in John's Gospel, chapter 3, that's a difficult verse perhaps to get your head around. It's one for the theologians in the meeting. Jesus Christ said in John 3, 13, No man hath ascended up into heaven, but he that came down from heaven even the Son of Man which is in heaven. There's one for the theologians to get their teeth around. But dear friends, this morning, there are times, I believe, whenever God draws near in a special way and makes His presence real and His presence known and His presence, in a sense, is manifested in a way that cannot be explained on human terms or human terminology. And you just know that the Lord is there, and you just know that God has come and God has drawn near. Duncan Campbell said that this is one of the great features in a God-sent revival. Not just crowds at meetings, not just remarkable conversions, but the sense of the presence of God. If you ever listened to his account, uh, given personally of the Hebridean revival and Lewis and Harris, he said God was in meadow and in moorland. God was in the fields. God was in the homes. God was in the churches. And there was a real sense of God everywhere. So much so that the vast percentage of conversions took place outside of the meetings. Men and women meeting God in the roadsides and in the schoolrooms and in all sorts of places. I've got to know a man in recent years who is in his 80s. And he's a great preacher of the Word of God. And he was telling me once he was in the Isle of Lewis conducting meetings and he was staying in the home of a, a pastor in one of the churches who was converted during that awakening. And he says, we were sitting at the breakfast table one day and we were talking about the things of God. And I just said, brother, 
what was it like during those times of revival? And he says he had his knife and his fork in his hands and he just set them down and there was a, a silence and he lifted his head and he says his eyes were filled with tears and he just said, brother, God was everywhere. God was everywhere. There was a sense of God everywhere. You couldn't escape it. And brothers and sisters, do we believe in, in that potential reality whenever we meet together, whenever we pray that there will be a time whenever the Lord that we seek will come suddenly to His temple and fill His house and fill this locality with His wonderful and lovely presence. The two on the road to Emmaus were discouraged in Luke's Gospel 24. Their heads were down, their, their hearts were heavy. Hope was gone. And yet we read in Luke 24, 15, Jesus Himself drew near and went with them. The Lord drawing near to two discouraged disciples in a way that other believers at that time were not experiencing it. And then later on in the chapter, you read in verse 36, the disciples in the upper room, as they had done on occasion before, and as they would do in times future, Jesus Christ appeared in the midst of them. And His presence became so, so real. We should be looking and longing for the presence of God. If the coming of Jesus Christ into this world brought the incarnate presence of God, Emmanuel, God with us, and if the coming of Christ into a person's life brings the indwelling presence of God and adores Christ in you, the hope of glory, and if the calling of a believer home brings them into the intermediate presence of God and the doors absent from the body, present with the Lord. And if the coming again of Jesus Christ at the end of the age brings the immediate presence of God and the doors, so shall we ever be with the Lord. Should we not in our Christian lives experience from time to time the real conscious awareness of the presence of God? Even now, as you sit in the pew and as I stand here and as we meet together as brothers and sisters in Christ, are we aware of the presence of God? You cannot manufacture it. And I have to say and confess that I believe that this is one of the great problems that is confronting the evangelical church in this generation, that it is such a temptation to employ stimulants, and entertainment, and a host of other things, some legitimate, some not so legitimate, to try to cover up for the absence of the presence of God in the midst of His people. The potential reality of the conscious sense of the presence of God. Then there's another thought, very briefly, the powerful radiance of the presence of God among His people. The glory and the holiness and the majesty of our God are biblical truths, spiritual truths, real truths that have perhaps been forgotten. We like to hear about a God that can provide for our needs. And we like to hear about a God that can comfort us and a God that can forgive us and a God that can give us grace in all of our trials. And we like to 
dig into the Psalms and lift out encouraging verses and all of those things are wonderful and all of those things are good. But are we aware that the God of heaven is a God of glory, a God full of radiant majesty, a God full of light that no man can approach unto, a God of infinite and eternal and unchangeable holiness. Whenever God makes His presence known, there's the awareness of the majesty of His presence. Whenever Moses went up into the mountain to commune with God and to receive the, the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, the Bible says that they the whole mountain shook and there was, there was smoke. There was a cloud that descended. Why? To protect the people from the majesty of the presence of God. Our God is a consuming fire. Whenever the tabernacle was erected and was completed, we read right there at the end of the book of Exodus in chapter number 40 that the presence of God, the glory of God, filled the tabernacle. And then whenever Solomon built this temple and they offered blood sacrifice and they prayed and they sought the face of God, the presence and the glory of God filled the temple so much so that the priests were not able to minister. They were overwhelmed by a sense of the majesty of the presence of God so that they couldn't do the things that they were going to be in the habit of doing and sometimes whenever God comes, the preacher has to stop. People can't pray. People can't sing. People can't worship. And they just bow their heads in stillness and reflection because God has come. When last were we arrested by the presence of God, the majesty of His presence? And then, of course, as well, there's the magnetism of his presence. Our Lord Jesus Christ, didn't he say in John 12, 32, I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto myself. Times whenever the Spirit of God is moving in great power. You don't have to cajole people in. You don't have to try to bribe them in. You don't have to offer them things that appeal to the senses to bring them in. The Son of God says, if I am lifted up and exalted, yes, he was speaking about the cross by the believers well. He was speaking about being glorified and magnified in the midst of his people. He says, if I'm lifted up and exalted, I will draw people onto myself because there's a magnetism about the presence of God. You know, whenever a, a, a somebody, maybe in the 12th or the 11th night in July, they light a bonfire, people come because fire is magnetic. It's got a magnetism. People start shooting fireworks up into the sky. People look at it and maybe stop what they're doing. Or if a building is burning, people come out because there's a magnetism about fire. It's self-advertising. And I believe there's a magnetism about the presence of God. In revival, people were drawn, just drawn to the house of God. In spite of themselves, there was a a presence that drew them. It wasn't a personality in a pulpit. It wasn't a program or some other thing. It was the presence of God, the powerful radiance of God's presence, the potential reality of God's presence. What about the precise requirement for the presence of God in the midst of His people? Beloved, this morning, is it not true to say that this is something that we desperately need 
to experience and know the presence of God. Why do we need this so much? Now, these things might cut close to the bone. And I'm speaking to myself. I believe we need the presence of God owing to the dullness, the dullness of God's people. Is it not true to say that we so easily live our lives, but we're not all that much aware of the presence of God? There's a spiritual dullness. Even whenever the Lord is there and the Lord is near, sometimes we just press on as if it's not an actual reality. The two on the road to Emmaus, the Lord drew near and went with them, but their eyes were holding that they should not know Him. They didn't even realize that this one that had drawn alongside was the resurrected King of glory Himself, their Savior, their God, their Lord. Their eyes were holding and there was, a, there was a dullness among God's people. Do we not open our Bibles and do we not say our prayers and do we not come to and from the house of God and we're never arrested with the presence of the Almighty and sometimes as soon as we get into our cars and we go home again, we're not even thinking about the things of God at all like Mary and Joseph, godly people undoubtedly. Mary was blessed among women, highly favored by God and yet whenever Jesus Christ was a a young lad of 12. In Luke chapter 2, at the end of the chapter, they went up to the temple. And Mary and Joseph left him behind. And they went several days, supposing him to have been in their company. But he wasn't there at all. He was in the temple. They had left him behind. But they supposed they were spiritually dull. And we need the presence of God not just because of the dullness of our hearts, but also because of the discontentment in our hearts. I, I really do believe that we have become a very discontented people in the 21st century. The church seems to be full of people that are discontented. There's a flightiness amongst God's people in different areas of life, but especially with regards to church life. I heard one old preacher that was long retired, he said, you know, in his ministry over many years, he says, God's people were like butterflies. And they just went from one flower to the next and easily frightened and easily offended and easily scared and looking for the next thing and looking for something that was sweeter still than the, than the flower that they'd sat on before. Why is that? Maybe it's because of the lack of the sense of the presence of God. And some people go from meeting to meeting and church to church and conference to conference and denomination to denomination and they follow preacher after preacher and website after website looking for the presence of God somewhere as if somebody's got the magic formula and maybe they have it and maybe they have it and there's this sense of discontentment. Mark chapter 2 begins with the words concerning a little house that it was noised abroad that the Lord was in the house. Jesus Christ was in the midst of his people and the power of God was present to heal the people. And that's what we need more than any other thing, to have that testimony that the presence of God is in the house. The church at Laodicea, on the other hand, were rich and increased with goods and yet there was a spiritual lukewarmness. And they were so consumed with the busyness and the activity of the church that they didn't realize that the very one that they professed to love and worship and serve was outside the door, knocking on the door, wanting and gain, seeking 
to gain entrance into the church. He was outside. We can have a beautiful building and we can have lots of facilities and we thank God for them. We're so thankful for God's goodness, for the people that come Lord's Day by Lord's Day, for the activities. This is a busy church. Something on almost every day of the week. But friends, let's not miss the presence of God. Without Christ in the very midst of His people, it can so easily be like a, a clanging brass or a tinkling cymbal that, that Paul spoke about. The dullness of her hearts, the discontentments of her hearts. What about the disobedience in her hearts? Beloved, let us be honest with ourselves and with God. Isn't there a lot of sin amongst the church of Christ today? And sin will always, always, always rob us of the presence of God. In Isaiah 59, the Lord says that His ear is not heavy, that it cannot hear. Neither is His arm shortened, that it cannot save. But here's the problem. Sin has separated between God and His people. God is now at a distance because of sin. Adam and Eve, whenever they sinned, instead of confessing that sin and running into the arms of grace and mercy and love, because of guilt they hid in the darkness and the shadows of the trees of the garden from the presence of God. And the one that loved them and the one that could heal them and forgive them, they ran from him because of guilt and sin and shame. And so often we're the same. We sin against God. We yield to some strong temptation. We let the Lord down. And rather than running into the arms of our beloved Savior and experiencing warmth and forgiveness and grace and mercy and acceptance, our sins drive us out of his presence. So it was with Cain as well. He went out from the presence of God. David, whenever he was confronted in Psalm 51 with his sin, feared, I believe, this more than any other thing. He said, Lord, cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. He knew that his sin had caught up with him and he feared that he would lose the presence of God in his life. And he said, Lord, don't cast me out of your presence. Lord, you can take any other thing, but don't take away the presence of God out of my hearts. Could it be that we have maybe grieved the Spirit of God out of our churches? Stephen Alford once said it was an accepted fact amongst God's ancient people that whenever he was angry, he turned his face away. The word presence so many times in the Hebrew Scriptures has reference to the, the shining or the turning of God's face towards His people. God looking upon His people with divine favor. But sin can so easily turn the face of God away until it's confessed and repented of. Whenever the Son of God was on the cross, the hymn writer penned the words, how deep the pain of searing loss. The Father turns His face away. Couldn't look at his son because he had become and been made sin for us. And the one who is of pure eyes and behold iniquity cannot look upon sin. Then as we think about the presence of God among his people, what about the possible reactions to the presence of God in the midst of his people? Not everybody reacts to the things of God in the same way. 
Not everybody reacts to the Word of God in the same way. Some people receive it with meekness. Other people reject it. Sometimes it falls in good soil. Sometimes it falls in thorny ground. Sometimes it falls on the wayside. Sometimes among the stony ground. Not everybody reacts to God's Word the same way. Not everybody reacts to God's Son the same way. Some receive Him. Others reject Him. Some love Him. And some loathe Him. Some are filled with longings for Him. Some run from Him. And not everybody responds to the presence of God the same way. Some will react to the presence of God with reverence. The book of James chapter 4 and verse number 10 says, Humble yourselves in the sight of God or in the presence of God. Some people, whenever they're aware of the presence of God, there's an immediately a sense of reverence like there was in Isaiah's life when he saw the Lord lifted up. He fell prostrate before him and reverenced his name as he thought about the seraphim crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. They don't act frivolous or indifferent. There's reverence. And then for some, the presence of God doesn't only bring reverence, but for some it brings reviving. Acts 3.19 speaks about times of refreshing or times of reviving from the presence of the Lord. And that's precisely what happened in the day of Pentecost. Before revival came to Jerusalem and different parts of Israel, revival came to the, the early church. Suddenly there was a sound as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled the house where they were sitting and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. They were revived. And then sometimes for others the presence of God brings rejoicing. John 20, then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. And the Lord came later on and stood in the midst of them and they were rejoicing and they were glad. The Lord has come. The Lord's alive and He has come to our hearts and come into our meetings and come into our presence. And there was rejoicing. And then for some, there will be repentance. The presence of God for some brings repentance. Whenever Duncan Campbell went to the Isle of Lewis in 1949 to commence what he thought would be two weeks of gospel mission, he didn't know that he'd be there for over three years. And on the first night in the parish church in Barvis, he spoke about the five wise virgins by way of preparation. And then he came back the very next night. They had a good meeting the first night, just a normal meeting. The second night he came back and he spoke upon the five foolish virgins. And as he pronounced the benediction, there was a stillness and a quietness in the meeting. And as he walked down the aisle, he said, there's a young deacon sitting at the back of the church. And he, he put his finger up above his head and says, Mr. Campbell, God is hovering over. He's going to break through. I can hear already the rumbling of heaven's chariot wheels. And whenever he went out into the, 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 the grounds of the church outside the building, the congregation were still waiting, still there. And others were gathering who hadn't been in the meetings, drawn, the author says, with an irresistible power. And then somebody began to cry unto God. And the words say that the awful presence of God brought a wave of conviction of sin that caused even mature Christians to feel their sinfulness.
bringing groans of distress and prayers of repentance from the unconverted. And then for others, the presence of God will bring reconciliation and restitution. Zacchaeus, the tax collector of Jericho, was sitting up a tree one day, and the Son of God came to the bottom of that tree, came to the place where he was, presence of the Savior, called Zacchaeus down out of that tree. And what did Zacchaeus immediately say? Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything uh, by any false accusation from any man, I will restore him fourfold. Restitution. He's putting right things that he had done wrong. And I believe as well there will be reconciliation with brothers and sisters in Christ that are estranged the one from the other. Matthew 18 says, If you have awed against your brother or you've offended your brother or they have done something against you and there's a problem in your heart about that, go to that person. Speak to them in love. Talk to them. Get the air cleared and be reconciled and then come and offer your gift. man spoke at our church once and he talked about his ministry many years ago, a time, a year that stood out in his memory where God especially blessed the preaching of the Word and a number, a good number of souls were saved that year. But he says it was unusual. One Lord's Day morning, early on, we were having a prayer meeting. And spontaneously in the middle of the prayer meeting, one brother who was praying said, John, or he said, Lord, I am not right with my brother John. And he stopped praying and he went over to another Christian in the prayer meeting and put out his hand and said, will you forgive me for the the issues in our hearts that have hindered fellowship and there was weeping in the prayer meeting. That pastor went home and he he had a message prepared for the people that morning, but such was the presence of God in the prayer meeting that he felt, I can't preach that meeting or can't preach that message. And he, he says, I just jotted down a few simple thoughts on a piece of paper. And I stood up in the pulpit and extemporaneously, without notes or much preparation, you know, you can't get away with that often. But he says, that morning I felt constrained just to open the scriptures of a particular text and preach off the top of my head whatever God would give me. And there was a real sense of God's presence. And as I was walking down the aisle, a woman put out her hands and she pulled the coattails of my jacket, and she said, Sir, would you lead me to Christ? And then the same thing happened in the evening service. And over the rest of the year, it was an unusual thing for people to come to Christ in so many of the meetings. There had to be reconciliation, maybe restitution, and then for others, there might even be rejection. Whenever the Lord healed the demoniac, You would have thought that that has been the beginning of a great move of God's power and blessing in the cities of Decapolis. But rather they prayed or entreated the Lord to depart out of their coast. They didn't want the presence of the Lord in the midst of His people. I wonder today, dear friends, brothers and sisters, do we want God to meet with us Lord's Day by Lord's Day? Or are we content to take off a box and greet greetings with our other believers with our, our greetings and go home again and say, well, I've been to church and I've ticked off that box and that's all it is. But do we long to really meet with God? What are the positive results of the presence of God? Very quickly, the presence of God brings power. 
Psalm 97, 5 speaking, speaks of the hills melting at his presence. Isaiah 64, 1 speaks about the mountains flowing down at his presence. The prophecy of Nahum speaks about the earth burning at his presence. The presence of God brings power to deal with sin. The presence of God brings purging. Leviticus chapter 10 speaks about Nadab and Abihu, two ungodly men coming to the altar and offering strange fire before God. And it says there went out fire from the presence of God and consumed them. God was purging his people. That's the first thing that Jesus Christ did in his earthly ministry. He went into the temple and he purged the temple. And then before going to the cross for a second time, he purged the temple again. The presence of God brings power. The presence of God brings purging. The presence of God brings peace. Exodus 33, 15. It speaks about Moses praying. If thy presence go not with us, carry us not up thence. God had previously said, my presence will go with you and I will give you peace. What peace the presence of God could bring into our lives and hearts. What peace the presence of God could bring into our homes and families. What peace the presence of God could bring into our church. What peace of God the presence of God could bring into our nation. Maybe this is the great problem in Ulster today. There's no real peace because we have forsaken God, the fountain of living waters. And we have hewn out broken cisterns that hold no water. And we have tried to manufacture peace whenever Jesus Christ has made peace through the blood of his cross. And it's the gospel and the presence of God that brings peace. The presence of God also brings pleasure. Psalm 16, 11 says, In thy presence there is fullness of joy, and at thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. We could do with a bit of joy in our lives, couldn't we? We could do with a bit of holy joy in our churches. W.P. Nicholson used to say, some Christians have just enough religion to make them miserable. He said, some churches are so cold if you brought a, a, a quart of milk into the, the church at the back doors, by the time you'd get it to the pulpit, it would turn into ice cream. Is there a warmth in our hearts today? Is there a joy in our hearts? Are we glad when we come up to the house of God? One last thought and we're finished. We have thought about the potential reality and the powerful radiance and the precise requirement and the possible reactions and the positive results of the presence of God amongst his people. One last thought. What about perpetual readiness for the presence of God among his people? Are we ready, dear friends, for God to come and visit us? Do we live perpetually in that sense of the presence of God that we wouldn't be at all surprised if the presence of God came down in power and God came sweeping through our meetings? How can we be ready? I believe there needs to be preparation. Hearts need to be prepared. Hosea 10 verse 12, God says, Sow to yourselves in righteousness. Reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground. For it is time to seek the Lord. Till what? Till he come. 
and rain righteousness upon you. Fallow ground is ground that was once fruitful, but through neglect has become dry and arid and barren and may be filled with thorns and thistles and briars and it needs to be weeded and rooted and turned over and broken up with the plow. But whenever there's preparation, God says He will come. Hard preparation. I sometimes wonder if whenever God's people meet together on the Lord's day, if we spent even 10 minutes before we left the house, before the throne of grace, preparing our hearts and seeking God and saying, Lord, I want you to meet with me and meet with us. And we all brought something of the presence of God from our homes into the house of God. What would be the results? If there was heart preparation, there needs to be preparation. There needs as well to be supplication. Hosea chapter 5 and verse 15, God says, I will go and return to my place, withdrawing his presence till they acknowledge their offense and seek my face. In their affliction, they will seek me early. God saying, I will return in response to prayer. The Spirit of God, I believe, comes where he's welcomed. God comes where he's wanted. And are we praying that this year will be a year of God's right hand, a year of jubilee, a year whenever God will come and fill this house and this annex with his lovely presence? Will we seek the Lord to that end? And then lastly, not just preparation, supplication, but also expectation. Here's the challenge. Do we expect to meet with God? Have we the faith to believe that God will answer prayer? That God will visit our hearts, our homes, and visit this place? Is there expectation to become to God's house with expectant hearts? I heard about an old saint of God, well stricken in years, and she was hardly able to get out to God's house. She was almost bent double. And yet there was a gospel mission on in her church, and night after night she was there. And one night the preacher said, called her by name, and says, Listen, you're faithful coming out every night, these cold, wet winter nights. And I know that you're not really well for it. He says, If you want to stay at home, don't be afraid to stay at home. You know what she said? She says, As long as I have breath in my lungs, and as long as I can struggle out to these meetings, I want to be here. Because I would be afraid that the night that I would stay away would be the meeting that God would come and visit. And I want to be in God's house whenever God comes. She'd got expectation in her hearts. The conscious sense of the presence of God among His people. Can I make an appeal this, this morning for this year that lies ahead? Can we seek God as never before? Can we come to God's house with prepared hearts? Can we pray together that God will come and visit us? I believe He will come whenever our hearts are responsive. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. So